Thanks for listening to the Movement Church Podcast. Movement is located in Newport, Kentucky, and you're always welcome to join us on a Sunday morning at 1030. Hope you enjoy this podcast. Um, and, and so in this series, we've been talking about, okay, why do we exist as, as a church? Like, what are we trying to do and, and how do we do it? And so we begin with this simple idea of our mission. So a mission is what we do. A mission is how we spend our time and our energy. And we say we're all about helping people find and follow Jesus, which is really just a very simplistic way of restating the Great Commission. What Jesus says, one of the last things that Jesus says to his followers, he tells them to go and make disciples in all the world, to go everywhere to make disciples, to teach them, to baptize them, and to help them begin that relationship with Jesus. And then we say, well, what's our vision? So vision is, is just kind of like, if we're doing our mission, what is going to happen? This is kind of looking ahead. This is what we're trying to do. And we say our vision is simply, if we were to disappear, we would be missed. And we often talk about this from like a community standpoint. Like here in Newport, here in Northern Kentucky, here in the tri-state, if for whatever reason we disappeared, would people notice? Are we, are we living out the gospel in such a way that they would notice? But it's also true for you. It's true for people who call Movement Church home that, that if we were to dis- disappear, are we going to be missed? Are you going to suddenly feel yourself like, I'm not being helped in such a way of finding and following Jesus, I need to go find another church? Like, are we achieving our mission? That's our vision. Well, today we're going to talk about some of our values. And some of our values that we use to kind of answer big questions and figure out what we're going to do and how we pursue our mission and so forth. And values for us are, are, are kind of, you know, they're kind of cliche statements, I'm not going to lie. Like, like, they're intentionally designed so they can be kind of memorable. And we don't talk about them a lot, but I'm going to run through them uh, quickly today in, in, in terms of all five of them, and then we're going to spend a lot more time on the last two. So the first one is this. The first one is this, is that saved people serve people. That we say, if you're saved, that means you are, have said yes to Jesus, that you have accepted Jesus as your Savior, that you are in on this, and then therefore, that act, that incredible extension of grace should change your life to the point where you are serving others. You're not living just for yourself, you're living outwardly. And, and so we talk about things like Movement Kids, and that meeting is Wednesday, this Wednesday at 6.30 here at the church. We'll feed you, come hang out. We got some news to break that's really fun, and we're talking about where things are going. If you're interested in serving, please come to that. But that is this Wednesday, because we think that saved people should serve people. The, the second thing, and this kind of goes back to the previous series we did, this idea that you can't outgive God. That whenever we talk about generosity— it's not about meeting a budget. It's not about understanding that we have to raise X amount of dollars because I don't have any other marketable skills. It's understanding that we are living generously out of response of the generosity that God has shown us. That we don't want something from you, we want something for you. That if God has given us everything, life, full life, eternal life, then therefore how we respond, how we live should be one of generosity. And so it's not about getting even, but it's about embracing generosity in all of its forms. The third thing is this. Third value is this, that circles are better than rows. I love to get together in this context and to sing with you and to preach and pray together. I love that. But I think real life change happens in circles as opposed to rows. And so we talk about groups. We think that you should be involved in a group. It's not a, it's not a mandatory thing, but we think that this is such an opportunity for you to grow and move forward that it's kind of like, why wouldn't you want to be a part of something like that? And the last, the, last uh, uh, the bulk of my time here, the balance of my time here, I want to look at these last two. And real quickly, they are this. First, that, f- that found people find people, and that growing people change. Found people find people, and growing people change. 
Now, as a church, that these are our stated values, right? These are things that, you know, we don't have them in a plaque or on the wall somewhere, but we could. Maybe you're part of a business or part of a community where you, even at your home, you kind of have some family rules or some family values, right? Like you have some things that you always look towards. But in every organization, every grouping, every family, there are some unstated values, right? There are some unsaid things that are really, really valuable. Well, one, one summer in college, I was looking for a job. I was home. I didn't really have anything going on. I was interning at a church, and, you know, churches don't pay anything, especially the interns. And, and I'm there, and I'm like, okay, I need to supplement my income, and I can work in the mornings, and then go to do my church work in the afternoon. And so I am just applying everywhere. I'm looking for anything and everything. It was one of those times where jobs were scarce. And I walk into a hardware store, and uh, one of those big box chains that, that I'll leave, leave left unnamed because they sell terrible lumber. We'll just call them Menards, all right? And so I walk in there, and, uh, and, uh, and I, I fill out an application, and as I'm filling it out, one of the managers says, hey, come back, I'll just give you an interview on the spot. I'm like, okay, like, you know, I've listed, you know, work experience, which was minimal at that point, and education experience, which was incomplete at that point because I was still in college, and, and it just kind of answers some questions. He sits down and he looks at the thing for maybe three seconds. He looks up and he says, will you work hard? I said, yeah. He says, will you show up on time when you're supposed to? Sure, yeah, I can do that. He goes, you're hired. I said, great, where? <laughs> like, what am I going to be doing? And you know what? He didn't send me over to the customer service station, like where you can deal with people who have issues or questions. He didn't send me over to get trained up as a cashier, because it's good, because I'd have to take my shoes off to make change, right, to count. Uh, but he sent me out to the outdoor lumberyard. Because when you look at somebody like me, you think, this guy in the middle of the summer needs to load 200 two-by-fours in somebody's truck when they're building the deck, right? Like, they just know that. I felt judged, right? Basically, <laughs> felt like a piece of meat. Like, just look, just look at me. And that's what they it was a great job. It was a great job. It, was, it really, really was. But one of their unstated values was on display right there. They said, we have this high turnover in this job. We need guys that look like this idiot, this gorilla, and needs to put him out there. And as long as he shows up time and works hard, there's not a lot of training that goes on with take the board out, put it in the truck, right? Like, if you can read, you can do it. And that was one of those moments where I was like, well, there's some unstated values here. And I think in Movement Church, there's, there's a couple unstated values. And one that I see that kind of informs value number four and value number five here is the value of hospitality. Now, I don't know if you've been around here very long or, or, or maybe you've been around here since we started five and a half years ago. But every time we have met, every time that we have gotten together as a church, we have done something. We, we have done something. And over the about 300 Sundays that we've gotten together, Every single one of those mornings, we had one thing in common. We had coffee. And why do we have coffee? It's not because, like, I'm afraid you guys had too much fun last night, and you're coming in blurry-eyed, and need to wake up, or you just didn't sleep well, and you need the caffeine. It's not about that. It's not about that. It's not about this, like, I'm some sort of coffee snob, although I've probably become one, like, because of who I'm married to. But, but, I, but I, I, I get to this point where I'm like, Coffee isn't that big of a deal, but it became one. It became a big issue. And, and here's how big of an issue it is. I mentioned my wife. I have never, and I don't know how, to make coffee at home. 
Never done it. When Heidi goes on a trip, she buys like iced coffee, like the real expensive stuff from Kroger, and puts it in my fridge because she loves me and puts up with my junk, right? And so I was in the spot where I don't know how to make coffee at home, but I know how to make coffee here. Now, it's, it's marginal in terms of quality, but I know how to do it because I believe that coffee and hospitality is such an important value for us. So why do we have coffee? Because you need something to do with your hands. You walk in church for the first time, it's nice to have something to do. It's nice to have something where you can kind of break the ice back there at the, at the coffee bar. It's nice that if it's awkward and you don't want to talk, you can just kind of, take a and kind of ignore somebody, right? Like, like, it's nice to be able to have that thing. And so it's not that coffee's so important, but it's so much more important for us that people feel welcome. That's why there's people out there greeting you. That's why the people kind of hear and say, hey, you've got kids, and I haven't met you before, so you might need some help in terms of navigating this stuff. And as a parent with young kids, what a gift. Like, you, that's all you're worried about when you walk in the door for the first time. And so we're thinking about how do we welcome people? How are we hospitable to people? When you come to church, maybe you're not exactly a finished product. When you come to church for the first time or the thousandth time, you probably don't have everything figured out. In fact, I'm pretty confident you don't. But when we talk about this idea, this value of growing people change, we have to acknowledge some realities here. We acknowledge some realities that we're all broken. Paul's going to use the word garbage which is really a very cleaned-up version of the translation. What we see here is that our lives are, are pretty messy and complicated. But we're going to have this value that growing people are going to change. That we don't want you to be static if you're a part of this community. And so, the Apostle Paul writes this in, in Philippians chapter 3. And Philippians is this incredible letter he writes to the church of Philippi, and he's, he's helping them understand some things and try to wrestle with some things. And, and this is like one of the early churches. This is like the first generation of churches. And Paul is this incredible guy who's, who's probably second to Jesus, the most influential, important person in Christian history. He, he's the guy who kind of starts this kind of very intentional, systematic way where he would go around and develop relationships and start a church, and he would go somewhere else and repeat that, and then he would hear back from churches he started and help them work through some issues and write them letters. And thankfully, blessedly, we have some of those letters preserved today. And so in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 14, Paul is kind of giving kind of this understanding that you are going to have to change not because you're so good and you've got to get better, but because we are so broken and we need help. Philippians chapter 3, Paul says this. He says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. Again, in the original Greek, this word would probably be bleeped, Okay. So Paul is saying, everything that I've amassed is garbage, is trash. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of the resurrection and participation in his suffering becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection for the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this, or I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, 
forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on to the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. This guy, Paul, this guy, Paul, who essentially writes half the New Testament, this guy, Paul, who has this experience where he hears the voice of Jesus, this guy, Paul, who performs miracles and sees miracles. This guy, Paul, who starts the churches that if we were to family, you know, family tree, trace back our lineage, we could probably find ourselves there. The reason that we are a church is in part and perhaps in large part because of the work of Paul. And he is saying that all that he has done is worthless. And he is saying that all that he is doing and all that he is is trash. And he is talking about pressing on and continuing to move forward. And so we say, very simply, growing people change. He is the guy that, that has this figured out. He understands exactly who he is. Paul understands that he has rough edges. Paul understands he has a story. In fact, before he converts, he was somebody who would serve arrest warrants to other Christians. That he would round up other Christians and he was exporting this outside of Jerusalem and going arresting men, women, and children for not having the correct faith in his eyes. He was somebody who allowed a stoning to happen, giving implicit approval because he was an authority figure while people were stoning this man, Stephen, whose only crime, other than believing in Jesus, was serving meals to widows, to old women. Paul is this guy with a story. Paul is this guy with a background. He is a guy who says, I am a sinful person. We define sin here at Movement Church very simply. Sin is anything we do or don't do that is outside of God's best for us. And so Paul understands this, but so do you. We've all got rough edges. We've got things that we're not really happy that are present in our lives. We have addictions. Maybe not to something illegal, but we're still addicted nonetheless. Maybe it's anger. Maybe you raise your voice far too soon. Maybe it's gossip. Maybe it has to do with our sexuality. And the bar of the Bible in terms of that issue is that a covenantal marriage. A covenantal marriage is that one man and one woman make a promise to one another that is promise made with God that is not dependent on what the other person does. Where they say, I'm going to spend my life with you. And Jesus is very clear that all the ways in which we can be outside of that are fall into the same category of sin. They're outside of God's best. Jesus goes even so far to say that when we fantasize, when we have our thought life run wild when it comes to issues of sexuality, that we are just about making the same sin as doing the deed itself. See, when we look at what God wants for us, when we look at the standard, we, we find ourselves bankrupt. I don't care how long you've been going to church. I don't care how moral you think you are. We're all bankrupt. We're all we're all bankrupt. If you don't think you've got sin in your life, I, or maybe to flip it on the positive side of things, if you, if you say, let's take God out of it for a second, if you don't think that you could improve as a human being, then you've somehow attained perfection. You're either not being honest or you need treatment. Like you're, there's something off here. We are all screwed up to some degree. We, 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 why do we, so why do we expect that when we walk into a church to find finished products? Well, why do we have this notion that there won't be sinners amongst us? Why, why do we assume that there won't be people with very complicated stories and situations that, that, that are part of this community? Why would we assume that? It's, it's, rather, it's rather naive. Well, 
by and large, or maybe at least in my experience, when I think about other Christians, I think about, the, or I think about these sins, I think there are some things that are, I would de- define as irredeemable. You know, maybe, maybe you have a list like this in your own head. Maybe it's kind of like one of those things you're having a conversation with, oh, you're an addict? Oh, you're divorced? Oh, you're attracted to people of the same sex? You've been to prison? You've had an abortion? You're, you're living with them, but you're not married to them? You, you had a mental illness? But whatever your list is, whether it includes that or doesn't, those things, I think we could come together and put it together our own list. And for some reason, a lot of Christians, including myself, I have, have kind of like to remind people that, that certain things just weren't okay. Not in the sense of this is a sin, but in the sense of if you do X, you are not welcome here. Or if you do X, then you are somehow outside of God's love, which is a complete and total and utter evil lie. What we see in the scriptures is that ultimately people understand how broken they are. I think about if someone were walking in here for the very first time, Maybe this is your story this morning, so welcome to Movement Church. Um, and, and you're walking here, and, and you've got a complicated story. I don't think people are so arrogant to think that they're going to come in here and just change all of our minds, right? I, I think people walk in here looking for hope, looking for answers, looking for truth. And so we need to be very clear on things about how dangerous sin is and how corruptible sin is and the ways in which it kind of distracts and kind of adds static to our relationship with God. Yes and amen to all of that, but why would we prevent them from coming in if we believe that growing people change? Why would we step in the way of that? Why would we get in the way of that? Because we believe that God loves us despite our sin. God is not ignorant. God is fully aware. God doesn't brush our sin away. God fully lists our sins and says, I love you still. God knows the full extent of it all, yet still pursues us. But in our effort to let people know, to make sure that they know that they are sinners, I think we miss something very important. People already know. People already know that things are wrong. I don't think they just wander by and think, oh, I'm going to check out what's in here, you know, on a Sunday morning. I think they understand what they're walking into. And so if that's the case, then we need to be aware of that. That we have an opportunity to be used by God. I read in the scripture this morning, the start of this, that we are ambassadors. So are we carrying that message forward? The fifth value that I think is also involved here is this idea that found people find people. Do you know that Jesus was accused of being a drunk? Do you know that Jesus was condemned and vilified because he partied or he went to parties? Do you know that Jesus was, was condemned and vilified and ostracized and judged because of who he hung out with? He even reflects on this. He's, he says this in Matthew chapter 11. Matthew records, he says that the Son of Man himself came eating and drinking and they said, Here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. In other places, you could, you could substitute tax collectors for prostitutes. You could literally substitute tax collectors for traitors, people who are against the powers that be. You see this, that Jesus is, is somehow wrapped up with these people intentionally. Because here's the thing, I can't change you. I, I can barely change myself. I, I can't change you. Parents, you know you can't change your kids, yet we try, Right? I can't change you, but I believe and I know from my experience that Jesus does change people. 
And that's my only hope here. My only hope of change, my only hope for something better, my only hope for the full life, my only hope, as Paul says, to, to press on and take hold of these things I can't even begin to understand is the fact that Jesus isn't done with me. And so as a church, when I think about these ideas of, of we got to make sure people know that they are sinners or we gotta, we got to keep people at arm's length, and what I see in Scripture is that, well, if we believe that growing people change, we believe that Jesus changes people, we got to help that process along in any way we can, and we definitely can't get in the way of it. And if we say to ourselves that, that ultimately found people, if we have found Jesus, then we are going to be reaching out to other people, then we need to be aware of who we are reaching out to maybe even more so of who we are separating and distancing ourselves from. Now, of course, there are toxic people. There are people that are, that are dangerous to be in relationship with. We need those boundaries. Practically speaking here at Movement Church, we, we do things. We, we value kids. We value movement kids. And so there's a process by which you have to go through in order to serve down there. But this is something that we want to be aware of. I don't, I don't know if you know this, but there, there have been people that we have said, you know what, it's, it's best that you don't serve here. In one case, there was, there was a situation where I had to tell someone, it's best that you don't attend here. And those were not fun conversations. It wasn't a policy. It wasn't like this big brand thing. Of, well, you check these four boxes, but you're against us on those three, so the math works out, out you go. It was a very individualized process. And, and I, still, I still wonder, was that the right thing? And we're wrestling through that because I want to give people the benefit of the doubt. And more so, I want to give Jesus the benefit of the doubt that Jesus is working in those people, but there are some lines that we just can't cross in good conscience. And so when we think about this idea, we think about this idea that when someone walks in here, when someone walks in here for the first time, I think they're coming in these doors looking for something. I think they're looking for truth. They're looking for grace. They're looking for purpose. I don't think people are so arrogant to think that they can come here and prove us wrong. Because I want, I want to be a church where, where, where our equivalent of tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes or whatever can, can be here. Can be here and be a part of this. Because I think that while it's not exclusively happening here, it's happening in all the churches and it's happening outside of churches, but I think Jesus changes people here. You know, three weeks ago, we tragically lost one of our own. Greg Colston suddenly and tragically died. If you didn't know Greg, this is what I want you to know about him. This past April, we hosted a, a storytelling event. We were trying to raise money for kids here in Newport to get weather-appropriate sh uh, shoes. And so we did this storytelling event, and, and Greg was one of the speakers. I was really encouraged. So I was like, oh, that's great, because I know parts of Greg's story, and I didn't think he'd be somebody that would want to come up here and talk. But he did, he, and he shared his story that was about redemption and grace and, and, and addiction and, and mistakes and, and out and out sin in his life, in his past, and in his present. He was very open and honest about things. And you know what? He won that competition. He, he beat me. <laughs> and he won not because he was the most eloquent speaker or because he was, he was the most prepared or, or, or what have you. He won because his story was that compelling. And obviously, the last three weeks, we, we, you know, we mourned Greg and, and one of our own here. And I, I think about this. I think about the ways in which we could have said no to him. And Greg served with our first through fifth graders, and Greg had a past. Greg had history. He was very open and honest about that, but he had a history. Greg served. He was one of the greeters out there out front. And 
he had, he, had some, he had some issues in his past. I would contend, and I think he would contend, he had some issues in his present. His was a complicated story. And, I, and I, I've been thinking about this, like how easy would it have been just say, you know what, Greg, you can just attend, but you can't serve here. How easy would it have been for me to say, you know what, I, I, I have an abundance of caution out of, out of wanting to make sure that we are clear on sin and clear on what is wrong and what is right and we don't want to glorify or somehow uh, give approval to certain behaviors that we think are destructive that are outside of God's best. It would be so easy for me to just say, sorry. And I've been thinking about, why, well, why did I say yes? Like, why did our other leaders, like, invite him on the team? Why do we allow that to happen? Knowing full well his story, because he wasn't hiding anything. I think it has to do with some of these values, some of these things that we believe, that we believe that Jesus is changing people. We believe that ultimately th people aren't finished and Jesus isn't finished with us. Because this is what we believe. We believe that you and I are broken people. That if our full story, if our deepest secrets, if the thing that we're hiding now was out in the open, we fear that we would be ruined. We fear that people would ignore us. We fear that we would not be allowed in. We believe that this grand human condition that is true of all history and all people, that we feel we are somehow broken because we are, that the only way that this made sense, the only way that that bridge could be gapped, that, or that chasm could be gapped, was that there had to be someone who brought us along. And we think about all the terrible things in the world, all the evil, all the sin in the world. And what better representation of that would be for someone who healed people, who brought peace and truth and love, to be condemned in a sham trial, to be tortured and executed. What better way to kind of end the whole sacrificial system, the ways in which that we said we have to bring something to the altar, we have to bring something to God in the temple, that this animal will be sacrificed and there, therefore we can be made right with God. What a grand way to end that whole thing by taking a piece of God, God himself on earth, and allowing that to be the final sacrifice. What a grand way to balance things. And to remove guilt and shame. Say, we're going to take someone who is blameless. And they are going to experience perhaps what we should. I think what we should experience for our sins. And this was given not in a way of saying, now there's a new bar for you to achieve. There's now a new hurdle for you to jump over. This was given freely and openly and says, here it is. If you want it, you can have it. And if you take it, you're not saying that I'm going to be better from now on. I'm going to be good. You're not saying that I'm somehow going to earn more of the love. That I get this first little hit of it, but everything else is coming at the price. No, no, it's fully available. See, I want to be part of a church that understands that in the limited way that we can. I want to be a part of a church that says, you know what? If we are pursuing Jesus, we're going to change, and we've got to get ready for that. And we've got to help people along the way. I want to be part of a church that says, I have been found. I have found this new life, and then therefore I am going to be reaching out to people. I'm going to be reaching out to people with this hope, this truth, this message of love and grace and forgiveness. I, I want to be a part of a church, and I want us, when we come in here, you can hear hope. You can hear answers. 
you can hear love, truth, and forgiveness because I think this is what Jesus is offering us. So what does it mean for us to help people find and follow Jesus? It means that we come together and we are very open and honest about all of our junk. And we say, here it is, and the only reason that we are still upright, the only reason that we are still moving forward is because the love of God is not finished with us. And guess what, guys? It's going to be complicated. It's going to be messy. It's going to be confusing. It's going to feel conflicting. And we're going to have to continue to work through this together. Because sin is evil. Sin is damaging. Sin is dangerous. But we follow, we follow the God who's overcome that. Let's pray. God, we are, we are at least I am, well aware of my mistakes.